I knew, you know, from growing up in Baltimore that, you know, these cookies are just kind of, it's, I mean, there's no state cookie per se, but, you know, if you were to ask somebody what, which cookie was the state cookie, you know, it would be the burger cookie for sure. Welcome to Local Fairy Tales. I'm your narrator, Nora Vetter. What is a local fairy tale? It's the story of a fair, F-A-R-E, that can only be found in certain regions, states, cities, and so on. Each tale will be told with the help of the voices that know it well. Historians, creators, servers, festival organizers, superfans, etc. Today's featured fair, Burger Cookies. You just heard Ross Nukomowitz, owner of Baltimore in a Box, speak about their regional impact. Now, let's meet the rest of our Burger Cookie Tale Tellers. My name is Joseph Abel, Membership and Development Manager at the Greater Baltimore Cultural Alliance. Charlie DeBalfrey, I'm the president of the Balfrey Bakeries, which manufactures burger cookies here in Baltimore, Maryland. Rodney Henry, founder and owner of Dangerously Delicious. Dean Krimmel, public historian, museum consultant. Ross Nokomowin, owner of Baltimore in a Box. I'm Andrew Reiner, and you're listening. You're listening to the local, the local fairy tale, local fairy tale of burger cookies. Fairy tale of burger cookies. Tale of burger cookies. I'm Charlie DeLoffrey, and you're listening to the local fairy tale of burger cookies. Most of the local people know it, but every now and again, there'll be a person in Baltimore who hasn't heard of them, and people can't. People are amazed. You mean you've never heard of burger cookies? How have you not heard of burger cookies? I guess it depends on the circle of people you're running with. You know, there are people that will say, "Oh, well, you know, it's not. They're not burgers cookies, regardless of what it says on the package." And you know, some people will say it's burger cookies. Some people will make a point of saying, like, kind of like, "Aha!" So you really don't. You know, you're not. You're not in the know on this. Either way, with with or without the S, uh, you're still going to get the same product. Um, and people just have their preference of how they refer to it. It's like burger cookies. Like, that just sounds weird. Like, what is it supposed to taste like? A hamburger, a cheeseburger? Like, what is that? Well, I think the taste would be described as heavenly by most. I've been, you know, kind of a lifelong fan and uh, supporter of burger cookies, you know, ever since I was probably 8, 9, or 10 years old. I've raised my own kids on burgers. I have a package right here that I'll probably bite into. Um, I've been an ambassador for burgers and taken them on trips and businesses meetings and things. So I'm in college, and the first time I remember having burger cookies was with a girlfriend at the time. And the place that she had a, a job, they always had a, like a summer work party. And at this work party, they always had a big crab feast. And they would go to this crab house that was down the street from their business. And that's crab houses in Baltimore are kind of a standard thing. You know, like every neighborhood, every place has its local crab houses. And crab houses are where you go and you get steamed blue crabs. You sit at long tables covered with brown paper wrapping and they empty out large buckets of, you know, like small barrels of these steaming blue crabs. 
And then everybody just kind of picks from them. A lot of times you drink beer. And so I remember at the end of the crab feast, a couple of people start breaking out packs of burger cookies. And I had heard about them, but I'd never had them. And what I would learn, I learned that night, and I would learn many times over, is that that's a Baltimore tradition. Is that a lot of Baltimoreans at the end of crab feast, is they would break out burger cookies as kind of the coup de gras at the end of the crab feast. I grew up here and don't remember eating a burger cookie until I was probably an adult. Maybe I was in college. So maybe that's one of the reasons some of us are crazy and uh, more crazy in love when you get find something later in life you go oh my god this this speaks to us and um and it's just all ours you know it's you don't find it anywhere else so i think that local pride always comes through you gotta like chocolate if you if you do not like chocolate you're not gonna like my cookie uh it is basically a vanilla wafer which is the vessel for a mound of chocolate so it's a very soft cookie, kind of has like a chewiness to it, uh, you know, a soft shortbread cookie with really rich chocolate fudge kind of caked on top. Not like short, like a shortbread cookie, but kind of similar to that, but real heavy duty. And that chocolate is like, that fudge is, uh, is intense. Some people compare it to a black and white, which is only like a black and white in the sense that You've got like a dome-shaped kind of vanilla, cakey vanilla cookie that, you know, instead of having black and white icing thinly coated on top, that's the the only similarity is is the cookie because the the coating on top is very different. Physically, it it kind of looks, kind of almost looks like a little uh, black and white hockey puck, you know, and it's it's almost got this texture that it, it yeah just dense and thick. What's on top of that dome-shaped cakey cookie? is a very imperfect, wonderfully imperfect, giant glob of hardened chocolate kind of frosting cream. That's basically the cookie. It's not pretty. It, you look at it and you go like, huh, it's kind of nondescript. But then once you bite it, I got gotcha. you. You'll love it. We've left them as gifts, like in hotels for bar mitzvahs and little packages. So we always put a note on it. Hey, this is the famous local cookie it's a well it's a cookie it's an excuse to eat fudge do not just you know go slowly it will be really sweet and do not eat more than two you can eat one maybe stop don't eat more than two it's it's just sweet it's overpowering uh it's it just fills the mouth with chocolate flavor and sweetness first time i had it and I gotta tell you, I wasn't super a big fan of it. I thought it kept burger cookies were like a little too much. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, then after I had it, it's like, it's weird. It's like, um, you know, when you have something and sometimes it doesn't always connect to you right off the bat, then you all of a sudden Jones for it. It's kind of like that. <laughs> so it came off as, as very almost cloying sweet at first, but then you, you get pretty used to that real quick. <laughs> and so burger cookies were something that. As much as I love the idea of them, because I've always been a sweets person, it took me a while to acclimate because the the amount of chocolate kind of cream, it's almost like a frosting on it, like a fudgy frosting, was so thick and heavy that it just, it was kind of like an, you know, like this kind of overwhelming experience, you know, of just ponderous amounts of like, you know, cocoa and chocolate and, and, and sugar just 
hitting you like in your it felt like you're just getting hit in your face i guess the other thing i always say is we, we would always say it ain't subtle it's like baltimore i mean it just hits you right in the face boom that's it simple unaffected boom that's it the cookie itself is actually is actually quite mild in comparison to the chocolate i think um that's probably if I had to choose one or the other, I think I would pick the cookie over the, the chocolate on it. Often when you get burger cookies, they come out of the pack in two conditions. You get that burger cookie and the dome-shaped cookie on the bottom almost always is still pretty soft and still fairly moist. But you're going to receive the chocolate in two different states. It's either going to be fairly fresh and it's going to be very soft as if somebody just took a glob of chocolate frosting that's very, that's very soft and moist and put it on top. And you can literally just take a finger or your tongue and just take off that soft kind of glob of chocolate frosting. The other condition it comes in is much harder, which I, and sometimes, sometimes I actually prefer it that way because it will actually be kind of a, um, this may sound unappetizing, but it's really not. It may be a little bit more stale, but, but, there's a lot you can do with the condition of that more stale kind of frosting that you can't do with the softer version of it. So often with burger cookies, it's one or the other. You know, when you're getting that topping, it's either very soft, very pliable, or it's going to be harder. And it's going to have the consistency of like a cake that has been sitting out for a couple of days. Some people do like to freeze the cookies. Some people like them frozen better. Um, right, are you in camp freezing or microwaving? Everybody in Baltimore has, you know, people who grew up with these have great stories about how they eat them. One of my favorites was that I was interviewing a gentleman who was the general manager of a, a very old school steakhouse in Baltimore called the Prime Rib. So he shared with me that his wife would take this really small spoon, and I forgot what kind of spoon it was, but she would take a really small spoon and she would just kind of dip it onto the chocolate and just eat the chocolate. One little tiny scoop at a time, she would eat the chocolate. And then other times, take all the chocolate off with that little spoon, and then she would put it in a little bowl and put it in the microwave. And then if I remember correctly, once it was melted, she would dip the rest of the, the cakey wafer cookie into the melted chocolate. I'm more uh, either straight out of the package, and then and when they do get hard, I uh, I microwave. I'm I'm team microwave to soften it. I, and other people say, oh no, you have to freeze it. I'd rather microwave and get it a little softer, gooey, messy. I honestly don't mean this at all to sound contrived, but I really do meet burger cookies out of respect, the way that I do people. I try to meet them where they are when I open the package, and I, I mean that in all sincerity because I've thought about this, you know, and this is the way I do it. As I told you before. When you open that cellophane, you're going to be getting that burger cookie in, in either a very fresh state or a slightly stale state. And again, even stale, the cookie is still fresh. It's just that the chocolate frosting on top is tricky. You know, it's very idiosyncratic and you're not sure what you're going to get. So when I open up the pack, depending on the state of the cookie depends on how I'm going to approach, the, how I'm going to eat it. You know, if the frosting is still very soft on top, I have this, this way of eat, eating it where I'll kind of sink my top front teeth into the soft icing and jet very gently and very kind of um, consistent pull back on the icing. So that like the first half of it slides off the cookie and I'll just kind of eat that. And then I'll eat the cookie by itself. And then I'll do the same thing with the second half where like I'll take like my front two teeth, 
you know, very carefully and slowly kind of slide it off, you know, into my mouth because once you get it in your mouth, it melts. I mean, how great is that, right? You never know what you're going to get when you open that pack. It's, it's part of the excitement, you know? And so I open it up. If it's hard, I'll just kind of, you know, bite into it and just eat it the way it is, like, you know, cookie and the cream together. But once in a while, I'll try to do the same thing with my front teeth if, if I can get some purchase in the top of the chocolate. If it gets a little bit melted, then I'll try the same thing and get it off. It's always like a, a challenge because I'm always trying to do it without breaking the cookie. Because when it's hard like that, it's easy to break the cookie underneath. So if I do do it the same way, I have to be really careful, make sure it gets a little bit soft, and then I'll try to slide it off without breaking the cookie. So it, it's kind of like a little challenge to give yourself. When we get them, it's basically just dive right in. There's no, uh, yeah, there's nothing fancy about it. Yeah, open the package and go to town. And, um, you know, I find them really delicious, honestly. You know, it's probably my favorite cookie to eat you know, out of really any cookie I've ever had before. I'm Joseph Abel from the Greater Baltimore Cultural Alliance, and you're listening to the local fairy tale of burger cookies. I always assumed that it was a fairly fairly old snack, um, but I, I honestly, I really didn't know until I started looking into it that its origins traced all the way back to the late 1800s. I mean, I know, I know the family is from Germany. Um, it was the burger family, I think, that brought it over here and started making the cookies here. You know, the people who supposedly founded the bakery were these two German brothers that came over to Baltimore in like the early to mid 19th century, about 1830. Looking at the census records, uh, German immigrants, they were actually the largest foreign born immigrant group in Baltimore starting, um, I think starting by the late uh, 1780s, 1790s, and well well into the 1800s. They made up the largest contingent of immigrants in, in the city. A, a historian of immigration told me like 30 years ago that the old idea of melting pots, that with German immigration, they weren't Americanized. Germans Germanized America. There were that many. The influence was so massive because of numbers. And it wasn't like it was a monolithic population, but because of the timing of the immigration, these, these different periods where there were just massive numbers of Germans from 1820s and 30s, then 1848, then after, after unification, and, uh, and then German Jews, uh, even from the 1850s on. Um, and it just had a massive influence on culture, on politics. And in, in Baltimore, you know, it, it's the statistic that was thrown out, I don't know if it's accurate, uh, when the city is half a million people in here, by 1900, like one in four people are either German-born or of German parentage. So, you know, culturally, culturally really pretty heavily they're German. There's a website. It's called germanmarylanders.org. The website has hundreds and hundreds of little short profiles based on, you know, census records and city directories and stuff of different Germans and their contributions, large and small, to the city and the state. The burger story, as we have come to know it in Baltimore, is about a German immigrant named Henry who's to the U.S. Uh, in 1835 uh, with a brother. Burger. George and Henry Burger. Uh, back in 1800s, uh, 1835, this is as far back as we can get. And this was not a really highly successful, well-known, established, kind of venerable Baltimore bakery. 
I mean, the only reason anybody even knows about these two German brothers is because over the past 40 or 50 years, people have been eating burger cookies a lot in Baltimore. And Henry is the centerpiece of the story. As the, the company lore goes, started the bakery, and he had three sons, George, Henry, and Otto. The tale is that uh, the sons follow him in, in their father's footsteps and become bakers as well. I think what, I, what struck me reading it was it's one of those you know, classic like tales of the newspaper. They started a long time ago, and they're still doing it, even though it's different owners. Same recipe, same hand dip, same craft, kind of old-fashioned way. My father used to work for, as he referred to it, Old Man Russell. And that was the uh, Russell, for lack of a better term, number one. And then his son was Russell number two. And then his sons were Russell number three. At that point, my father and my uncles purchased burgers that they used to work at. Uh, they purchased it. And then I am second generation. And my sons are working. They're third generation. But prior to Russell was actually burger. So it's been around a while. It's stood the test of time. You know, Charles de Balfray, he's not exactly sure. And no one's exactly sure really when. The cookie came into fashion. It seems so decadent and like a, a treat that would be hard to come by for, you know, people at the turn of the 20th century or whatever. When you look at, you know, recipe books, early American recipe books, you really don't see cookies being mentioned in cookbooks, you know, until really, I think it was probably the late 19th century, you know, early 20th century, 19th, early 20th. So these brothers were not making this cookie right off the bat. This was not something that they brought over from Germany because there really are, are few, if any, recipes for cookies from that period of time. So I hope you don't mind. I just wanted to kind of add that in. I just thought that was an interesting, you know, extra wrinkle historically. I'm thinking, you know, moving into folklore and folk ways kind of mentality of like, yeah, there's people who make it. And then they take on these, I don't know, these, they have a presence, they get popular, and then people call them different things. And then, right, and then it hits the... Like so, what the 1953 advertisement says? Burger cookies, Baltimore's favorite. Was that a was that an attempt to brand it then? Um, did it need? Yeah, it's always a question: why people do things at a certain time? Uh, is that you know? Is it is it because it's a wider audience, or because nobody else? You never even had to call it. You know? Oh yeah, you're, let's have some of your special cookies. Um, yeah, so everybody knew it. Everybody, but I don't. Yeah, so I really. Um, yeah, it's just really intriguing too for me because they're so well known and they're so you know emblematic um yeah and i'm gonna get a go like folklore wonky like like there's a reason these guys they packaged it and they became bigger and better known than others but god all these bakeries had if you look at the directories there's again like there's hundreds of bakeries and everybody's cranking out cakes and cookies and other kinds of uh baked goods so burger bakery uh exists in this ecosystem of many, many different bakers. So um, if nothing else, we can go, man, these guys survived. And, you know, the, the chocolate cookie and, yeah, I know, we're getting hungry, aren't we? The burger bakery itself never was wildly successful, never became really well known. All anybody really knows about is the legacy of the burger cookie. And so, you know, that has been really difficult to even pin down. There, there's just been so little. And I, I do remember one of the ancestors of the Berger family. I don't remember who it was. But finding something that he had written something with, you know, it just it really was just a lot of conjecture. It's a lot easier now to uh, research, but it wasn't at the time. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't do it. A woman who 
uh, lived in Maryland, was married to a guy named Berger. And she thought it would be absolutely great that if he was related to the original company, um, you know, the owners. So she did research and found out that he wasn't, but um, she became interested and just started following that. So she's the one that went back to 1835. I had, you know, I'd read over the years some of the um, articles in the newspaper about burger history and accepted it. thought, okay, that's fine. That's fine. And now, now I'm starting to look into the origins. Here's what I've been doing. The story, the official story is it's just a sketch. So I, I don't go in, I, I never, I didn't go into this going, oh, I'm going to debunk something. But I do, when I start to look at the origins and do some research, I go, well, what do we know? And I, and I, and I know we, it takes a long time to figure things out, but what is documented? And so what I did was I said, okay, well, first off, there's lots of bakers. Um, when do we start seeing their names show up? And can I figure out, you know, where, where they are and if they're selling in the markets? Based on, um, based on some of the, the records from the city directories, which are people think of as kind of as pre-phone books, but they're listings of people by addresses and used by residents and businesses. Um, are they in the directories? Are they in the census records? Now, when, when you go into census records, if I go into a census, it's online, um, 1900 or 1880, plug in the name Berger, B-E-R-G-E-R, well, living in Baltimore. You know how many? hits I have? 800. So if now if I go into a city directory, there might be 35, 40. So these historical records are always have their limits, but the, the directories are great because they pinpoint somebody's name and address. Like, oh, where are they? And and then there's, uh, what's the family, what's, what is the family dynamic with Henry and his sons? Uh, and uh, are they, are they advertising in the newspaper? Uh, or are they in um, the records of the of the public markets. Public markets. We're just gathering places for farmers, fishermen, livestock traders, peddlers, you name it. These were the places where you went. These were the main source of food for the overwhelming majority of Baltimoreans. This is where you went to get fresh food. I mean, in a t you know, in a time before reliable refrigeration and uh, preservation and that sort of thing, you wanted to buy your food fresh um, and get it from from the source. There's a little bit of uh, confusion I, on where the first public market in Baltimore was. Both of them still exist. There's Broadway Market, which is on the east side, which was, would have been in what was basically the sort of downtown area in the 1780s um, in Fells Point area. And then on the what was then the far west side of downtown today was the Western Precinct Market, which is now known as Lexington Market. These public markets were all over town. East and West, North and South. If you, if anybody listening has ever been to Reading Terminal Market in Philadelphia or um, in Baltimore, Lexington Market, you know you see that there's individual stalls. A hundred years ago or more, there were there would be a thousand stalls. Now we're we're used to like twenty, thirty to fifty to sixty. You go to festival little market places. These were sprawling places that went were like two or three block long sheds with dealers, food dealers, uh, some of them farmers, many of them just retailers on the street with the wagons that they've moved. So they're almost like farmer's markets that we think of today on the street. But then under these sheds, these low roof sheds, there were just a series of stalls, one next to the other. There were a lot of folks who either rented or purchased their own stalls in the marketplace so that they could have them week after week. But 
the market, quote unquote, wasn't confined just to these, you know, sheds once they were built. They also extended out into the neighborhood with street vendors and hucksters that would come and take advantage of the fact that all of these farmers, tradespeople, fishermen, whatever, are all coming into town two or three times a week to sell their produce. With a hundred butchers under the same roof uh, and bakers, usually like a handful. There, there are not many bakeries in the markets, but there's hundreds. There's hundreds around the city. Uh, probably every neighborhood had a couple. So you really do have to put all these sources together to know um, uh, who is who. You never want to, you know, you always want to follow the evidence. You don't want to uh, let a story uh, lead you astray. And what I found was what I think is a new version of the old story. First off, the, you know, the, the head of the burgers, the first in line, the, the person named Henry who came over in 1835, I couldn't find anything uh, in census, city directories, newspaper, searches online. I just didn't see a Henry Burger who's arriving at least as an adult or so in the 1830s and 40s. But what I did find were two men who were bakers who arrived in the U.S. a little bit later, 1848 and 1850. So these two men that I find, uh, I don't know if they're related. Uh, I just can't tell. Um, they're, they're within five years of each other. So, so they, they show up in the 1840s in the U.S. The names are George Berger and Martin Berger. They first appear in Baltimore in the 1850s in city directories. So it doesn't mean they weren't here before that. But it's generally speaking, once you're here for a pretty brief period of time, if you're, um, if you're, well, especially if you're white, I mean, there's, there's definitely racial prejudice. So if you're black, you're harder to find. And a lot of people were not in directories. So I should put that out there. Somebody will listen to this and go, yep, the directory missed a lot of people. Um, but for our sake, George and Martin Berger are bakers in Baltimore. George from the early 1850s on. Martin from the late 1850s on, and they settle here. George on the west side of town, and Martin uh, in an area called Old Town. George is active as a baker for about 20 some years, uh, middle 1870s, and then suddenly his directory listings are uh, identify his occupation as a flower and feed dealer. And from the 1870s on, until he dies in 1911, he's identified as such and not as a baker. So that bakery story seems to end with him, um, with one wrinkle. He has a son, also named George, goes by George M., who is identified, along with his father, in one census in 1900, when the son is in his late 30s and the father's in his 70s. They're both identified as bakers. Um, meanwhile, every other city directory says they're in flour and feed and so forth. So very confusing. And they don't represent themselves as bakers in their business dealings in the directory. So I see that line that it, it ends. It's not the bakery story that is our burger, cookies, burgers, cookies, and burger bakery of today. So moving to Mark, who is five years older than George, he lives in Baltimore for uh, 46 years and dies at age 80, having produced a family of bakers. He and his wife, Christina, have either 10 or 12 children. The records are a little inconsistent. And Almost all of them, about eight, survive into adulthood. And Martin's eight children include six sons who become bakers. And three of those 
sons who figure big in the story, who echo the uh, origin story of the burger cookie business, are uh, Henry, George, and Martin. You might recall that the burger story says there's a brother named Otto, and um, I didn't find an Otto. There's an Otto Burger who's a musician, but I'm pretty sure that the person people call Otto is probably Martin. And then, uh, again, echoing the story, in the late 1890s, Martin dies. And for me, that might be the, uh, the piece of the story that is told as Otto, one of the brothers, Otto, dying around 1900. So to me, it's close. You know, it's fairly close, and maybe that's it. So by this time, Henry is off kind of on his own. He's has market stalls. He has addresses that have, he's moved out of the family house. He's married. He has a stall in city markets. And then his brother George follows suit. When he kind of comes of age in the late 80s and early 90s, he also has uh, a stall. He has stalls, in fact, in, in a stall in Lexington Market early on, uh, as it's specified. After Martin's death, I, I focused more on Henry and George to see where they were going to see if one of them led us to the Burgers Cookies business today. And what I found is it's pretty clear that George Burger, a younger brother of Henry, is the one who connects us to Burgers Cookies that uh, the Dubofferies uh, run today. It's George's business that is much more prominent. He advertises in the papers as his stall, having stalls in Lexington Market and Holland's Market um, and Beller Market at one point. And it's just called George Burger Bakery. And George Burger uh, in these market stalls from the 1890s to the early 1900s and into the 1920s, past the time Henry, the older brother, retires. George Burger dies in 1928 in his just uh, early 60s. The business goes on in, uh, in his name, George Burger, in the market stalls. And I don't see any other location, uh, any other retail location. So it seems to be only in two or three markets at different times. His wife, Emma, his daughter, Helen, his son, George, and another son, Herbert, are the ones who are named as owners in the 1930, so into the 40s. And Herbert, who would have been in his 20s when his father died, is managing the bakery. And then by 1940, he's described as the owner in the census. So, He's 40 years old. He owns, and it's, it's George Burger Bakery. So it's in, in, at that point, it's Holland's and Lexington Market. And at Lexington, the George Burger, or shortened to Burger, the Burger's Bakery Stall, is listed where there are advertisements uh, showing the merchants that are in the market uh, in the 1950s. There's a new market that's built after a fire. Burger's is one of six bakeries. Into the 60s and 70s, there's a Burger's bakery. It's not called Burger's Cookies, but it's Burger. It's not George Burger anymore. And that is the, that's where the trail connects us, I believe, to, um, you know, to the Burger, Burger's Cookies that we, uh, that we know and love today and syncs up with the DeBoffries and the people the DeBoffries bought it from, the Russells who worked for the Burgers, so forth. That's where the echoes go. You're like, oh, I get it. You know, there's always truth to the lore, but the details end up getting confused over time. So there's often, I should say always, often a nugget of some kind of truth. And then that, then because things were a little vague, the details get filled in over time, over generations, and they change, and then the story gets a little, uh, either it gets muddled or it gets very simplified. In our case, with the burgers, it's just gotten you know, really very simplified. Hey, my name is Rodney Henry, and you're listening to Local Fairy Tales, the Burger Cookie. 
it's a wild scene over there. I mean, they're like they're total Baltimore people. You know what I mean? They're just like real cool. It's still like one. It's such a they have stuff everywhere, but it's it's such a small, you know, family run sort of deal. You know, it's pretty wild. Been this for ooh, wow, God, I'm old. Fifty years now, um, and I still love it. Still love it. I don't at all mean this to sound the slightest bit patronizing. I found it really charming that something that has such a cult following is still being very intentionally made in a way that you clearly it was probably done 50 or 60 years ago. Everything was done by hand. And I just thought that was wonderful. You know, I really did. And, and there was and there was something really charming and something really comical about it, too. But I can remember I started working um, when I was geez, eight years old at the bakery. I used to just scrub the bathrooms. Uh, it was a way to earn a couple of bucks, and, you know, so I scrubbed the bathrooms, and um, then, you know, that was the end of my day. I just sat and, and read books, magazines, and then uh, would go home. You know, and what's really interesting about burger cookies to me is that no one cookie is really the same because they're not made by a machine. They're uh, handmade cookies. You know, I've watched them make these cookies in the factory. They're all hand-dipped cookies. So, um, you know, I've seen cookies with a little bit of chocolate, a lot of chocolate, a medium amount of chocolate. I mean, and we produce, let's see, um, about 30,000 cookies a day. Um, and they're all made by hand. People don't understand that. Every one of that Cookies or the chocolate is applied by hand. Um, the, the cookie itself comes through a machine, the, the wafer, and then bakes. But the chocolate is applied by hand. So it's a lot of, a lot of chocolate to be applied by hand. And that's a, a, an average. Uh, you know, Christmas time, obviously, it's more. And, you know, there's spurts during the year where, you know, everybody experiences that. Where, oh, my goodness, we're busy. That's nice. And then, oops, where'd everybody go? They're just there to do their job and go home, you know, at the end of the day. Um, there is no store. We don't want you coming up. And the reason being is we don't we don't have a store, so we don't have a storefront. We don't have a, a clerk. So if you come to buy something, we'll sell it to you. But what happens is the person who is waiting on you has to... Take your gloves off, you know, wash your hand, take your jacket off, or cloak, um, and then wait on you, and then wash your hands, and then re-cloak, and then put gloves on. So, if you came in and bought 12 hours worth of cookies, it probably cost me $25 just to let somebody wait on you. So, the only way we'll serve, uh, serve you here is if you call and place an order. Then we get the order up, it's boxed up, it's ready to go, and somebody in the office can handle the transaction. It doesn't stop production. They're never trying to make a splash. They're never trying to, you know, do anything really different from what they've been doing for the past several decades. And to be quite frank, they don't have to. I mean, they don't have to advertise. They don't have to market. Their cookie is just so already ingrained in the minds of so many people who grew up here, who live here, who moved away from here. And that's like priceless. Invariably, people find out who I am. And they go like, oh, do you have any cookies? Uh, you know, like you carry them around with you. You know what I mean? It's like, and really, if they were in my pocket, would you really want one? I mean, how many, how many companies 
are out there that don't have to spend an arm and a leg constantly trying to get in front of customers. You know, they don't have to do that. They don't. They've already got their base, you know, which um, more than I think does the trick, you know, for, for their operation. We have uh, 23 employees, including seven drivers. So uh, seven of them are drivers. They have nothing to do with production. Distribution is very limited. It is very much a local fair food. It really is. You know, it's very much a local vore kind of a thing. You can get them throughout Baltimore pretty easily. And you can now, and over the past, I'd say, I think nine years, you've been able to get them in, in the D.C. market. Uh, we're in almost every retail uh, grocery store in Baltimore and Maryland, Northern Virginia, Southern Delaware, uh, Southern Pennsylvania by Shrewsbury. Um, uh, we have Wise, which is a, a supermarket that's in Pennsylvania and Maryland, Giant Food, uh, Sheesh, Safeway, and a host of independents. But even though it's from Baltimore, you can't, for instance, go throughout the state of Maryland and easily find them the way you can in Baltimore. So, for instance, you know, you could go into 7-Elevens, you could go into convenience stores, grocery stores throughout Baltimore, and you'll, you'll pretty much be able to find them. But once you start really kind of getting to other areas, um, like I live about uh, an hour, a little bit more than an hour from Baltimore, and it's, it's not that easy to find them out where I live, you know, at the beginning of Western Maryland. And one of the reasons they haven't gone much farther is because burger cookies are delivered in these vans that in the summer are retrofitted with these small air conditioning units in the back. So it's not this this van that it's like they, they literally have to customize and retrofit these vans. So there's an air conditioning mechanism in the back because they would find that when they didn't do that, the cookies would melt. I wouldn't mind going a little bit more, just a little bit. I don't want to get to the point where I have to ship them um, because then the cost is just ridiculous for shipping. Um, and then also because we'd have to ship it refrigerated so it would melt because that's another obstacle in the summer, melting. So that's another interesting wrinkle about them that keeps them very much a local, you know, a, a local thing. Uh, production starts uh, around 6 in the morning and then it's around 2 to 3 o'clock, depending, you know, like when it, it you can't air condition a bakery with ovens, obviously. Uh, so the hotter and more humid it is, the slower people tend to move, which I, you know, I understand. I did this for a long time, and I know exactly what the, the heat will do to you, especially when it first starts. You know, later into the summer, you're kind of used to it a little bit more, but you get that first really hot, humid day, and, and it just slaps you in the face a couple of times. So that's why it would vary. And then also, you know, you have labor, uh, you know, people don't show, so. Instead of uh, four people dipping cookies, you have two or maybe just three. Or somebody who's not as fast at just learning. Uh, yeah. There's a, some variables go into it. But they've kind of always stuck to their roots. You know, their history has always just been this one single, you know, shortbread cookie with chocolate fudge on it. There's a bowl of chocolate and someone tosses the cookie into the chocolate. And then the person dips it into the chocolate, pulls it up, and kind of like spatulas it a little bit, the excess off so it doesn't drip down, and puts it on the pan. 
And then they set uh, so that the chocolate hardens. Otherwise, they would all stick together and you just have a little blob. Um, and then they're packed. The packaging hasn't really changed much in about 30 years or so. The package is very simple and it's very old school. Um, it's a re- small, uh, it's a very thin cardboard that's rectangular. And it has just like a logo of burger cookies on the side, very simple and it's brown. And then there's like a cellophane wrapping on top of it. Ah, oh, geez. Um, it changed colors back in the 60s. It went from red to brown. And so from the 60s to now, it's been the same. You know, these, these cookies are supposed to weigh, you know, a certain amount according to their packaging. And, you know, I find it funny that, like, every package of cookie, you know, can weigh very different amounts, um, you know, <laughs> based off, like, what's what's read on the, on the packaging there. The label says 15 ounces, but it is way over that because... When weights and measures come in, I don't, we don't want any problems. So we actually reduced the, uh, printed weight. So what used to be 16, we've made it 15. So, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter if I say, if I tell you you're getting two ounces of cookies and sell you 15 ounces of cookies. As long as I'm not telling you you're getting 15 ounces of cookies and sell you two ounces of cookies, I'm okay. And as far as I know, you know, the cookie has always kind of remain the same you know it's been pretty much that same recipe from all the way back when and you can imagine it's it's made some changes um only because uh you know pricing and the fda but the basis of the the recipe hasn't changed but there had to be some changes uh, due to the fact that the fda comes out and says you know Whatever is not good for you, um, you know, so we're going to eliminate it. Like trans fat was the big one recently. So there's been some changes, but most not to the basic recipe. Eat the cookie every single day, you know, to kind of just always test the quality of the cookie. Every day uh, I will walk out into the finished area and I will grab a random cookie from anywhere um, they are sitting to be packed. And just take a piece of it and taste it. Just quality control. It's to make sure the chocolate is up to snuff, that the amount of chocolate on the cookie is correct, and that the cookie itself, the wafer, is good. So that's the best way to tell if the product. You can look at something that looks pretty and it doesn't taste good. I mean, I'm sure we've all had that at some point. And I love the fact that burger cookies are still such a small operation. And, and they still, by virtue of the fact that there's, there's, the, there are these limitations in place that they're not bending over backwards to change, but they're really trying to keep it very much, you know, a local commodity, you know, very, and, and I, I just think there's something wonderful about that. Pretty cool, you know, cause I do take pride in this. I am proud of it that it's as iconic as it is. That helps. I'm Andrew Reiner, and you're listening to the local fairy tale of burger cookies. I saw that um, somebody was blogging with King Arthur Baking about doing like a replica burger cookie. And so I looked at the, you know, I looked at it, and, and that was probably the closest I came to wanting to replicate it myself. So this is funny. I, I sat down, I read over it a couple times. And and then I thought, I'm going to come back to this, you know, when I was doing the research. 
So after I finished the research and finished the piece, I went back to this blog piece and looked at everything, looked at, you know, the ingredients, looked at the way to do it. And I remember reading it and thinking, and they were made a point of saying the really tricky part is not the cookie itself. It's the topping. You've got to get the, the consistency and the texture just right. Because a lot of people were saying, I've been trying to do this and I keep getting the texture all wrong. And I thought, you know what? The hell with this. I'm just going to go out and buy. So I just went out and bought some, you know, <laughs> but that was, that was my brush with the baking burger cookies. Um, I did. I just went out and bought them. Um, my mother had made them herself for a lot of like dinner parties and things like that that she's hosted. And, you know, they're, they're really nice looking and they taste good, but it's definitely not the same. You know, there's, there's definitely something different, you know, about the burger cookie and it's, very hard to imitate no no i've never um i bake a little bit uh we cook a lot i've been i've cooked for years baking always obviously is a little harder and i've never thought of it and i suspect if it did come up the answer in my house would be some things you just left leave leave, let other people do and enjoy it uh i'm not we're not going to replicate it we're we're not even going to try let's just buy the package we have a lot of people who come into our store in Hamden, and a lot of people have really are not from here. They're, they're either visiting family or friends, or they're in town for a wedding. So my wonderful mother-in-law, always incredibly thoughtful. At the wedding reception, she surprised me, and for the groom's cake, had like a, a platter of burger cookies because she knew a how much I love them, and b just as kind of like a you know a cute little representation of, of, you know, representing Baltimore and, and what I was bringing to the family, that kind of thing. And, you know, they'll come into the store and, you know, they'll be like, you know, they don't know a lot about Baltimore. And, um, you know, I'll show them some things around in, uh, in the store and, you know, I'll show them the burger cookies in particular. And oftentimes, if I can clearly tell somebody's never been here before, has had no experience with the city at all, and it's just kind of like, exploring and learning for the very first time, I will give that person who walks into my store a free pack of burger cookies. And I will say, like, this is Baltimore right here. Like, you have experienced Baltimore once you've had these cookies. So you need to take this pack. Just take it with you. I don't want your money. Just take it. Enjoy it. Eat it. You know, and this is what you will remember most about Baltimore. You need to be able to tell people, that you've had a burger cookie in Baltimore because that is part of the experience, I think, you know, especially for people that are not from here. There's a um, organization here called Casey Cares, and they, they um, help families of uh, children who are being treated for cancer at Hopkins, and they, you know, they help them uh, find places to stay and, and you know, for the, and help the, the siblings of the, the sick child. Um, you know, find something to do because they're kids. One of the kids, uh, they, you know, they, I guess they had like, kind of like Grandma wish your birthday, you know, what do you want for your birthday? <laughs> All this kid wanted was burger cookies, <laughs> which I thought was pretty cool. Wow, you can have anything you want for your birthday and this is what you pick? I remember one guy was sharing a story. He was probably in his 60s at the time and he was sharing a story about how he grew up in a, a Jewish family and his relatives when he was a boy would come over and they were from the old country. And, you know, they would have dinner after dinner when the family would be together, they, somebody would bring out, you know, burger cookies 
And it wasn't that they were necessarily you know, a way that they were showing that they were acclimating as Americans, but they were, this was a way that they could acclimate as Baltimoreans, which I thought was really, really neat. We, we work with a lot of people who own Airbnb units and, you know, they, they gift our, our gift boxes to their incoming tenants who really oftentimes don't have any experience with Baltimore at all. And they're just kind of here for a short stay and then they're on their way. And, you know, we, we work with a handful of those kind of customers. Um, and of course, you know, every single of those boxes certainly has, you know, a pack of burger cookies in them. I did once people started saying, oh, you're coming out here to California to check some place, like, bring some burger cookies with me. I was like, <laughs> I was like, for real? <laughs> so, of course, I did. I didn't realize it. You know, I never, you know, I gotta tell you, I never really noticed where I was, wherever I was. I knew in DC, Baltimore, you could get them. And I was really not even thinking. I mean, I know how they have like a lot of regional stuff like that in different parts of the country. So it wasn't really that noticeable. But I know there were people that were from here were fans, but I knew they couldn't get them wherever they were living outside of Maryland or D.C., you know. A lot of people do order them online. A lot of people who have left the area who love burger cookies um, will order them online. They have a pretty robust online um, business. They really do because – uh, when I was doing that article about burger cookies for the Washington Post a while back, I remember going online onto chat boards and looking to see what people were saying and writing about them um, for like, you know, foodie blogs um, or chat rooms, um, uh, King Arthur baking to see what they were doing about it. And a lot of people would say, you know, that that they're from Baltimore. They miss burger cookies and blue crabs and they can't get the crabs, but they do order the cookies. There is one customer who every Christmas orders cookies for his daughter in South Africa. These cookies are the most important thing to my boxes, actually, you know, because without them, I really feel like I don't have a box because they're literally picked in 95 to 99% of our Baltimore in a boxes, you know, and I feel like if we didn't have them as an option, customers wouldn't order the gift box if they did not include burger cookies in them. Okay, this is crazy. So, we had this dude, he's a writer, he worked for us for a while, Ariel Vinto, and he, uh, he was, he was, worked at the shop, he was a killer employee, like, he worked in fun, he did, he did all do everything. And, uh, they were pregnant, and his wife loved burger cookies. So Ariel went home, and he kept working on this crazy thing, it was like, it was just this burger cookie butter, it was just burger cookies and butter, it was, it was, you could see that it was gonna be, it could be something cool, but it was really, uh, it was awesome. I never, never really tasted anything like it. It's, it's, it was really buttery, like super buttery. And then we just like started docking it up a little bit and became, uh, this, we had no name for it. It was just this pie we just like invented. And then we, uh, I went to a car show and this kid, he's like 15 years old. He's gangly. He's wearing, you know, he's, he's, he's like worked on his dad's car and stuff. You can tell he's a real cool kid. He had the whole pie's worth of Baltimore bomb. But at the time it was just, you know, I don't remember what we call it, dangerous pie or something like that. And um, I said, well, so we just started doing this pie. Is what did you call it? He goes, I call it the bomb. I was like, because he was just like, this is the bomb. I was like, well, that's where you got it. It's Baltimore bomb now. So we have two flavors that highlight burger cookies. Uh, one we call Balmer Cookies and Cream. And the other one we call Salty Balty. And the Salty Balty um, is actually my favorite out of the two uh, because it also combines gets his caramel cream so it's like a 
It's a salted caramel-based ice cream with ground up or chunks of burger cookie in them. You know, and it, it's just a really unique flavor. Um, and then the Balmer cookies and cream is more just like your regular vanilla-based cookies and cream type ice cream. But instead of using Oreo, you know, we're obviously using uh, burger cookies in our ice cream. So we work with a company called Cream Cruiser. Uh, they manufacture our ice cream for us. We came to them with this idea for the ice cream, and they're the ones who kind of put the recipe together you know, manufacture the product, package the product. And it's been a really unique and and fun little side business that we've been doing in addition to the gift box business. Pretty awesome pie, man. I mean, it's like people dig it so much. The vinegar is very subtle, but it's there. So when you take a bite out of it, you get a really awesome, crispy version of a a burger cookie that's attached to the bottom of this custard. It like coats real nice. You get into it. It's super buttery, like almost like a Toll House cookie a little tiny bit, but it's the vinegar. When you bite into it, it hits you back by your ear hole, you know, like right there by the end of your jaw, just a tiny little bit, very subtly. It's not overbearing. It's kind of like buttermilk, but it's there's no, it's just vinegar. Not no, there's no buttermilk in it. But that was the, it's kind of a, it's really interesting flavor, very vanilla and vanilla and chocolate, man, and just. A little vinegar. That's the that's that's the jam. Yeah. So of course we definitely wanted to include the burger cookies. I think they were pretty much the top two flavors that we sell, and you know the the first the very first flavors that we came up with uh, were the burger cookie inspired ones. Yeah. They can totally get it from they get it through Gold Belly. Have it shipped right to the door. And we have this thing called that we do out of here, dangerously delicious, called Pie Valet, where we where we just deliver in uh, eight counties, Maryland and DC and North Virginia. And we were. Originally just selling them out of a freezer in our gift box store. Um, and we've also been selling them to local grocery stores. But, uh, recently we opened up a actual scoop shop on the avenue in Hamden. Um, and again, it, it features, uh, you know, the burger cookie ice cream. And we've gone through quite a bit of that already so far, um, in the short time we've been open. But I guess it is kind of special. People think, oh, we met over a slice of bomb. Like, oh. <laughs> So we we feel we do our part, you know, in spreading, you know, the burger cookie cheer uh, throughout the state and beyond. You know, that's that's kind of like the crux, I feel like, of our whole business, you know, is kind of doing that. I think about it, my, um, how it was when I was working with my father and my father was slowly easing out of the business as I'm doing now. Um yeah, I think about it. I think about how I felt and try and remember that when my son, who I'm sure my father thought I did something stupid. Why are you doing that? That's not how you do it, you know? Um, and I try to remember that uh, when my son does something that is not the way I would have done it. I'm not saying it's the wrong way. It's not the way I would have done it. So, yeah, I try to remember that. But, yeah, it's it, it's... Pretty cool. Just take pride in what you do. And that is the local fairy tale of burger cookies. More information about burger cookies and the burger cookie tail tellers can be found at local fairy, F A R E Y, tales, T A L E S dot com. 
And be sure to follow Local Fairy Tales Podcast on Facebook and Instagram to share your tales about burger cookies or other local fare. And if you don't know much about your local fair, ask. There are tale tellers everywhere. Cellophane wrapped boxes filled with gratitude to Joseph Abel, Charlie DeBoffrey, Rodney Henry, Dean Krimmel, Andrew Reiner, and Ross Nakumowitz for sharing their time and burger cookie knowledge. Concept, production, and editing by me, Nora Vetter. Music by Anisha Thomas. And artwork by Jonathan Reich. More local fairy tales are coming soon, so be sure to subscribe on your favorite place to listen to podcasts.